Hello, internets. This is Adam Brinkerhoff uh, coming to you from my home office in Broomfield, Colorado. But Troy Dunn is at the headquarters of Space United in Arvada, Colorado. So when you put our powers combined, like Captain Planet, we can uh, make a space agency. Troy, what's up? What's up, everybody? That was good. A question answering your question. Very uh, Socratic. I like it. Uh, all right. Today we are going to talk about our topic of the day. As we do every week, today's topic of the day is how to get help from robots. And in typical Space United fashion, we're going to talk about that uh, with relation to space exploration as well as um, in the context of uh, humanitarian work and, and medical help and all sorts of different ways that uh, robots can help. So let's jump right into it. Um, we have uh, four uh, robots or types of robots to talk about, and then uh, we'll get to a robot expert, uh, our friend Chris and I, a little bit later in the program. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about it as if we know what we're talking about, as we always do. So let's talk about Robonaut 2. You see him in the picture here, if you're watching on the video. He's uh, pumping some iron, and he, he looks like he has an Iron Man mask on, which is pretty sweet. Uh, Troy, tell us about Robonaut 2. Yeah, so uh, Robonaut 2 uh, is a humanoid robotic uh, that was developed by the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, and uh, it is currently on board the International Space Station. You can see uh, on uh, Johnson's uh, website here uh, all kinds of information about the robot, um, but uh, essentially, the robot was built to do a lot of tasks that might be too dangerous for uh, a human to do, and, and uh, we're still early on in the development of, of robotics, um, and, and Robonaut 2 was um, the second iteration of NASA's uh, program to, to develop a, a, robonaut, a robot that can act essentially kind of like a human, and, and it's got um, you know arms that move around and opposable thumbs and, and fingers and um, but but the goal is ultimately to take away some of the dangerous tasks that humans might be asked to do uh, and to have a, a robot do it. So uh, that's Robonaut 2, and as I said, he's up on the International Space Station right now, I believe, and uh, helping out doing some work up there with the astronauts and cosmonauts uh, aboard the space station. Very cool. All right, next up we have Big Dog. Uh, Big Dog was in the news a little while ago, so you might have heard about him, um, but uh, he's uh, developed by uh, Boston Dynamics, and uh, they do a lot of great work with robots. He's uh, been applied uh, to a lot of different situations, and most notably, recently, he uh, has been in the military field. Um, so some think of him as um, a uh, robotic mule or donkey, uh, basically like a a pack mule or a, a load-carrying animal, um, but uh, he's a very advanced robot in the sense that he can uh, walk in all sorts of different terrain. You see the slides going by on their website of him in all sorts of different uh, snow and sand and uh, mountain terrain. Uh, I've also seen video of people walking up and pushing him uh, and basically showing how he can adapt to uh, changes in his center of gravity and um, just a, a general rough-and-tough environment. Uh, so he can carry big loads, and uh, he can uh, uh, go all over for long distances um, between uh, charges. 
Um, and so the idea is, again, like uh, Robonaut uh, on the Earth uh, situation, uh, for him to be able to do a lot of the work um, that uh, animals would typically do or humans would do, carrying, for instance, big military packs across long distances to uh, help out with that kind of stuff. Um, and also just some of the more dangerous things as well, or, or just the more physically taxing things. Um, you can see here, um, similar to Robonaut being humanoid, um, uh, Big Dog is obviously uh, a very animal-like uh, robot, and that is uh, a part of robotics that is becoming more common. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure the exact term. I think it's something along the lines of biorobotics, where uh, you're mimicking... Uh, animals uh, with the way that the uh, robots are built and the way that they uh, act and react to different cir uh, circumstances. So you can see his legs are very animal-like in his general shape as well. Um, so we'll get a little bit more into that later on. Uh, but next up, we have our good friend Curiosity. Uh, you might know him as a, a Mars rover, uh, and Troy is going to tell us a little bit about uh, what he's been up to since he landed on Mars. Yeah, so uh, he actually just celebrated an anniversary for Curiosity. Uh, you can see on their website they've got him in a uh, birthday hat. Uh, but he's been on Mars now for, for two years and has been doing a lot of great work over there. Um, Curiosity, for those that don't know, is a, a car-sized robotic rover um, that's currently exploring the Gale Crater on Mars. And um, uh, he's a, a nuclear-powered uh, robot. He actually uses kind of the same um, power systems that Viking 1 and Viking 2 used, um, unlike uh, the other two rovers, which are uh, still... Well, at least one of them is still trolling around uh, on the planet, which is um, Spirit and Opportunity. Um, but uh, Curiosity's uh, goals generally were to investigate um, the Martian climate and geology, and uh, it's got uh, laser in its uh, eye there, you can see on, on the website, and it's been able to uh, shoot that into some rocks to try to figure out um, the chemical compositions of those rocks, and, as well as a lot of other um, fancy scientific tools on board, including some some drills, um, and uh, so far so good. Um, everything with, with Curiosity has been on kind of a long drive for um, the last few weeks, um, the last time I checked in, um, but every once in a while he makes a stop and, at, at an object and and we'll investigate it further to, to see what's going on. But uh, again, uh, it's another example of a robot that's doing work that um, you know would be difficult for a human to do with our current technology and and um, uh, available um, you know funding in in space right now. And so uh, we we send a lot of robots to do the work that um, is is dangerous and, and expensive for us to do. Um, using robots also lowers the cost of of space exploration because you don't have to send along things like food and water. Um, uh, but but there's also definitely some drawbacks to to using robots as well. But we can get into to some of that uh, later. But um, just an, another one of the robots that's that's out there. And then um, our our fourth robot that we wanted to talk about today is uh, Dash. Uh, Adam. Well, first of all, I always learned from. TV and movies that robots just eat like metal cans. So mm. don't they have to bring that metal cans with them to feed the robots? Uh, no, th this one, Curiosity, they don't. As I said, he's nuclear powered. Um, Are you uh, not aluminum can powered? Like all the uh, of my childhood? No, no. I, I assume the Robonaut 2 is, though, for sure. Oh, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. 
So Dash, uh, full disclosure, Dash was co-founded uh, by a friend of mine uh, from growing up in uh, Illinois. So uh, this is not just a shameless plug. Uh, Dash is doing some really cool stuff. And but one of the reasons I wanted to put them up here today and talk about them uh, was uh, many of you guys out there, uh, unless you're independently uber wealthy, probably can't afford a Robonaut or a Big Dog or a, uh, a Mars rover, um, but you can very much afford a, a Dash. And as you can see, a Dash is a very small robot, um, but it can do a lot of really cool things. So uh, the idea for the company came out of uh, some graduate research that uh, my friend Nick Kohut and some of his grad um, colleagues uh, in uh, Berkeley uh, developed. So it's um, all about two things. First of all, um, basically making robots that do um, activities similar to bugs. Uh, so again, it's the bio-animal-inspired, as you can see. Um, also, they uh, take advantage of something called origami robots, which is basically uh, the idea of uh, a build-it-your-own-kit that can be packed down uh, very light and very small, uh, basically using a, a number of the different pieces that you can see someone putting together there on the website. Um, so it's very much a DIY thing, uh, but it's, it's very... Um, They had a really great crowdfunding campaign a few months back, and now they're chipping out uh, their first uh, order of, but they will continue to grow and, and develop um, new sizes and scales of, of these robots. And so uh, it's a great way for you to learn about um, the, the cutting edge of robotics uh, at home and to be able to um, get your own hands on uh, the technology so that you can really learn uh, in a way that you can't uh, any other way, uh, basically. And um, now we're going to move on to uh, give a quick shout-out to our sponsors. So Space United um, Hangouts, podcasts, and the organization in general is uh, brought to us, or brought to you, rather, um, by uh, our, our very awesome sponsors. Um, first of all, those sponsors are you. So just because we have these cool companies uh, up here doesn't mean that we don't appreciate you. Uh, each and every one of our individual uh, public donors, so we appreciate either through crowdfunding or just through our website. Uh, and those donations are all tax deductible. And um, we will uh, thank you with a um, little gift in the mail as well as our undying uh, forever gratefulness. But in addition, we have some great companies that have come on board and helped us out in various ways. Uh, AGI does some great software uh, for use in developing uh, spacecraft and, and space missions, as well as uh, land, sea, and air. Uh, they're used uh, throughout the industry in, in aerospace, as well as uh, in the educational uh, field as well, uh, primarily with their tool um, satellite toolkit, or SDK, as you may have heard of it, referred to. Uh, Digital Globe is the world's leader in satellite imagery production. Uh, they have um, a handful of satellites up uh, in the sky right now, and they have uh, Worldview 3, their latest bird, going up, um, I think, tomorrow, Thursday, any day now, uh, depending on the launch window and the weather and everything else that you have to think about when you're launching a satellite. But they're excited to get that up, and uh, that will actually uh, be taking imagery with 32 centimeters of resolution, which is pretty amazing stuff. So uh, we love working with them, and specifically on our imagery mission, which you are welcome to check out on our website. It's called Image Griffin. 
so the Space Foundation, we actually just uh, came back from a, a day uh, down there in Colorado Springs at their uh, headquarters. They have a, a great uh, space museum and uh, a program going on called Summer of Discovery that we participated in uh, this past Saturday, and we will again this upcoming Saturday. So come come by and visit our booth there if you're in the area. And finally, Uingu uh, does a lot of work with supporting space research uh, and other scientific uh, research through uh, fundraising done by naming uh, different exoplanets and Mars craters. So check out their website. You can name uh, either or both of those uh, a variety of uh, pricing points and, and funding levels that you can participate in, and uh, that naming uh, list or, or that map of names will be used uh, in the future as uh, different organizations continue to explore uh, Mars and, and the planets out there beyond our solar system. So with that, we're going to turn it over um, to our guest, um, uh, and he's going to tell us a little bit about um, what's really going on in the world of robotics. Uh, his name is Christopher Nye. He's a current aerospace engineering grad student at CU Boulder or the University of Colorado, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the Colorado area. He's a former uh, Robonaut intern. He just got back from Johnson Space Center uh, in Houston, which, as you men many of you know, is a NASA center. Um, and uh, we're happy to have him on the program again. Uh, Chris, welcome back. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So uh, let's jump right in. Uh, what, out of all the different things that you've worked on and, and heard about, uh, what's your favorite robot right now uh, that's doing work either in the space field or the humanitarian field or both? Uh, well, I, I have to be a little bit biased here and, and say that Robonaut is my uh, my favorite robot. Um, I've been around the program. It's a great program, and, and probably the reason why it's my favorite robot is because there's been so many spinoffs from it. Um, NASA does a great job about publishing their technology and, and doing uh, basically what's called the um, technology transfer. Uh, it's a commercial industry, so uh, Robonaut program has been going pretty strong for 20 years now, and, and uh, we're on Robonaut 2 doing some upgrades on it right now, the one that we have on station, and then we have a couple of spin-off technologies, and we even had a team compete in the DARPA robotics competition with a a different robot that, that we built um, called Valkyrie. So which of the um, uh, spin-offs or, or parts of the program did you work on uh, this past summer? So uh, this past summer I was on a part of the project that was developing a shoe uh, to measure the amount of weight that you would lift while you work out, say doing squat or calf raises. Um, there's a, a squat machine currently on a space station that the astronauts use to do a lot of weightlifting. I think you, you can bench press on it too. Uh, they do it a lot more for leg workouts. But um, there's some, uh, some issues with uh, the way that they're uh, measuring the force that the astronauts are lifting right now. And uh, the branch of Johnson Space Center that kind of measures the workouts for the astronauts is looking for an alternative way to... Uh, record uh, the workouts from the astronauts in hopes of uh, getting data and improving the workouts so that they lose less muscle and lose less bone mass. And uh, one of the alternative ways that they're looking into is developing a shoe. So essentially we're, we're modifying a, a weightlifting shoe, like in a, any brand weightlifting shoe, and uh, putting in some load cells into it so you can 
you can measure the uh, moments and the, the forces when you're lifting a weight. So for our guests, um, or our uh, uh, viewers, uh, rather, that have not been to space, can you tell us a little bit about um, what uh, is different about lifting weights in uh, free fall or, or on, on board the ISS versus um, doing so down here on Earth? Yeah, so so when you're in microgravity, there's there's no uh, um, force pulling down uh, like we have even when we walk. And uh, since you don't have that constant force uh, on your body in space, when you're in the space station, uh, you need to work out um, with systems like they started originally with um, like the Pilates bands, resistance training, um, and a lot of uh, using um, like a ergometer, a, a exercise bike, and they found that resistance training is uh, really great conditioning, but uh, you really you need uh, impact exercises, so uh, high weight, low reps, uh, to save on how much uh, bone mass you lose, and uh, they developed a system to do that using vacuum chambers, so instead of um, lifting weights off the ground, you're basically pushing against a vacuum uh, in a chamber. Just like it's just a hydraulic system, essentially. Gotcha. So, um, when you were working there, did you guys talk about pieces for the shoe here on Earth, or has the technology gone in that direction? Yeah. So, uh, we, as a team, see this uh, as as a large benefit for professional weightlifters uh, or people that would like to monitor their workouts because um, not only will you be able to because you know how much weight you're lifting because the weights are labeled obviously but you'll be able to tell with these shoes uh, if you're lifting more with your left foot or your right foot if you're lifting more with your heel or your toe um, and uh, it'll be able to help people who are trying to up, up their uh, competition stats just a little bit more um, but technology like this uh, is the beginning of, of what you kind of see uh, Nike and Adidas and other running companies doing uh, with uh, pressure pads and where you're placing your feet to help you run better. Uh, technology like this is, is basically the, the beginning of getting high fidelity data for that because right now what they have is very basic with, with pressure pads. Gotcha. Yeah, I was thinking of that as well, my wife being a runner. Uh, I am not, and we won't get into the reasons for that. But um, the other thought I had just off the top of my head, and I mean, if this is crazy, you can tell me, uh, be honest, but uh, has there been some consideration for uh, the technology in the world of prosthetics? So, for instance, uh, to help uh, a person that uh, either was born without a leg or had a leg amputated uh, to help them to learn walk by using the data to, uh, similar to a runner who wants to improve their stride or improve their foot placement, but to use it um, for an amputee? That's a, no, that's exactly right. It's not crazy at all. Uh, uh, we have, so the Robonaut 2 doesn't have uh, walking legs because uh, it's a space station program, so it is, uh, on a side note, getting legs, um, but they'll have those are going to be installed in the next month or two. So for anyone listening, uh, keep an eye out for some Robonaut stuff going up on station. The legs went up in April, and they'll be installed by astronauts in 
the next month. Um, but then we'll be able to walk around the station. But we don't use feet. We use uh, uh, clamps, so it grabs onto the handrails that the astronauts use to, to uh, move around inside station, and they're everywhere. But uh, we did build another robot in the team uh, that had walking legs. Um, that was kind of uh, a technology progression from our, we have a lower body exoskeleton, and that lower body exoskeleton and the robot with walking legs both use uh, these pressure pads that we're talking about. It's basically like a, a pad with a lot of resistors, and you can you can tell where pressure is being applied by the change in resistance of the resistors in the pad, and and that's that's okay. But uh, a lot higher fidelity data for one helping uh, when you have a trainer tell you where you're applying your force for someone who's who's trying to learn how to walk again or with a prosthetic, for instance. But also helping on the automation side, so uh, you can develop a prosthetic that walks for you, um, and with this data can correct when you can't feel what's going on past your knee or, or past your hip. That's fascinating. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing about that. Uh, Troy, do you have a question you wanted to ask Chris? Yeah, I, I definitely did. What what kind of work is Robonaut currently doing on, on the space station? So, as of this exact moment, he's undergoing surgery. Um, okay. But, uh, he, uh, the, the kind of work that he's been doing, uh, and he will be doing, uh, once he gets legs is so we did a lot of checkouts early on with task board development so uh, can we flip these switches reliably do we know which ones we're switching do we know when we're flipping them can we read the data that's coming out from the gauges next to the switches um, so that was kind of like how we made sure he was up to the standards that we wanted him to be uh, a lot of safety testing as well for, for space station payload um, but the things that, that we're trying to be more progressive and more aggressive about doing is um, monitoring the air quality, uh, water quality, and we're working towards trying to do some inventory for space station. So mm -hmm. these are all tasks that take quite a bit of time for the astronauts to do because they're necessary. They're very, very necessary. Um, but, you know, they're not the most intensive tasks that you need a PhD super smart astronaut to be doing. Uh, we kind of want to take over these tasks so the astronauts can spend more time on the payloads and the research that's happening on station. Um, once we get legs, we'll be able to have a little bit more freedom to do this, so we'll be able to walk around on our own in a stage that we're calling IVA mobility for intravehicular mo mobility. Um, and uh, we'll be able to go up and, and monitor air quality and physically move things uh, in Un unload, say, a dragon capsule or something, um, and, and help out the astronauts with some of the more mundane housekeeping tasks. Gotcha. So uh, there's some people that, you know, don't know what it's like uh, for an astronaut's daily life on, on the International Space Station, but essentially from from the moment they wake up until the moment they go back to bed, they're they're busy doing something. They're they're going through a checklist to make sure some system is running or they're uh, maybe just checking in uh, and writing down um, the results of an ongoing test that's taking place. And what you're saying is that you're hoping that Robonaut can take off some of the more mundane workload that they're doing so to free them up to do um, things that really only a person can do there. Exactly. Great. Great. Just a quick question of clarification is 
Robonaut typically uh, controlled from uh, the ground in Houston, or is he controlled by the astronauts, or is it a mix of both? Great question. Uh, we have the capability to do both. So, um, Robonaut can. We have three what we call phases of control for him anywhere. Uh, it's um, autonomous. Well, basically autonomous. Uh, likes a self-running script where he waits for a response and will react to it himself. Um, we have semi-autonomous where uh, there's checkpoints where we wait for Robonaut to to hit and then we'll allow. Uh, it to progress along its script, and then we have a tele-robotic tele form of operation where uh, an operator will wear uh, a heads-up display and a special type of glove, so the uh, robot will follow the hand, the finger movements, the arm movements, and the head movements of the operator real-time, and we've uh, tele-operated um, using an astronaut on ISS to tele-operate Robonaut we have the capability to do it from the ground, but there's about a two-second lag time, uh, so that's not the most popular option. Um, but most of the operation of Robonaut is done from uh, from the operators in in on the ground in Houston. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's that's really interesting. Um, so, lastly, before we open it up to, to questions uh, for our audience, um, this is kind of a two-part question. But where do you see uh, the field of robotics going in the near future, uh, but then also on a personal note, like what what are you most interested in them doing? Like what if it were up to you, if you were in charge of the Robonaut program, or if you were in charge of any of the other um, programs that we were talking about, uh, what would you want them to do in space and, and here on Earth? Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I know. Break break it down. <laughs> Part of the question was sorry. Yeah, sorry. The first part is just where do you see the the future of robotics going? So where, where like from a from a very casual, not involved observer, it seems like uh, a lot more animal type robots and, and humanoid robots. Um, but you're more of an insider. So just in, in generally speaking, whether it's space or Earth-based robots or humanitarian robots, like where in general do you see the um, technology moving in the near future? Sure. I think the Robonaut program is maybe a little unique in that it's a humanoid. I don't know if we'll be seeing a lot of iRobot um, robots running around uh, just because, you know, uh, it's a little bit harder to develop that type of system where humans are pretty complex. Um, but that being said, I think human augmentation is probably going to be... Robotics is a large field, and I think there's a lot of different directions it'll go. I think obviously autonomous cars uh, will be the next big leap that the commercial, the public will take. I, I would. Some people say 2020. I would probably be conservative and say in the next 10 years we'll be seeing mainstream autonomous cars that are affordable, um, and that'll be like the next robot that'll really change how how we live on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there's a lot of robots in the medical field that are. Making a world of change for um, surgery, but I think you'll see a lot more uh, tele operations. So you'll have uh, in a third world country, you'll see uh, a doctor in one centralized location with uh, robots like surgery robots that have two maybe hand manipulators 
performing uh, ultrasounds. Well, that, and this is something that's, that's starting to happen already in India. Um, but doing, doing ultrasounds, but we've even tested Robonaut with uh, things like a syringe, and he's very capable. Uh, so you'll start seeing a lot of telesurgeries with maybe just a nurse in the room, so you don't have to have a, a surgeon. Um, and that'll really affect uh, global health, I think, because um, it'll get a lot more, uh, it'll fill a lot of the need um, for, for surgery. Uh, and then uh, personally, uh, I would probably be, be a fan of the, the prosthetics and the augmented strength robots. Um, I think probably in the next... 20 years, we'll see an Iron Man-ish suit. Maybe not with the bulletproof armor, <laughs> but certainly with the augmented strength. I think the military has uh, a heavy drive to do this, not not necessarily for warfare, but for VA health, for, for veterans um, uh, that come back with maybe a missing limb or um, problems with mobility. Uh, they certainly, certainly have a big uh, vested interest in helping their veterans uh, get back to full strength. And one of the ways to do that is, is using prosthetics that, that have some type, type of automated capability and augmented strength through the use of mechanical systems. And I, I think that's probably where we'll start seeing a big leap. I would also, yeah, I think that there would be a, uh, a similar... Uh, applications and fields like disaster relief, like uh, clearing debris and, and res like search and rescue, as well as uh, even just in like day-to-day -day construction type stuff. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. Uh, DARPA sponsored. A, they're actually in the middle of a competition called the DARPA Robotics Challenge, where teams from across the world, uh, from around the world, are developing a robot for just that, for disaster relief. Um, and the idea spawned right after Fukushima um, because uh, there's some reports that say if a robot was able to uh, go in and manipulate just a hand valve, it would have drastically reduced a lot of the damage that happened. Interesting. Um, so just out of curiosity, is that something that uh, you want to pursue moving forward? Are you are you, you're entering? Are you're you're a grad student this year? Are you entering your first year of grad school this year? Uh, this this will I'm I'm in uh, basically a joint bachelor's master's program so this will be my my second and third semesters of grad school and I'll be graduate in May. Gotcha. So, so looking forward, are you going to continue to um, uh, pursue the the uh, kind of uh, intersection between robotics and and uh, aerospace or? Was it just an interesting experience, and you're gonna keep looking for other options? Uh, at the at the time, I'm uh, in the process of trying to go full time with the robotics group at Johnston, um, and uh, if if that doesn't work out, then I'll definitely pursue robotics as a hobby. Or I mean, it'll always be there because a lot of systems on on spacecraft are robotic. So you know this. Uh, I think it'll always be around, and, and even if I go to some completely different field, it'll be a hobby of mine, for sure. Very cool. Um, all right, well, we'll keep uh, Chris here for a couple minutes while we uh, kick it over to our questions for the day. Um, though it, as always, they are very similar questions uh, to what we asked our, our guest, Chris. Um, what uh, is your favorite robot now, whether it's something that you 
had a chance to uh, play around with yourself or uh, something that you've seen on YouTube or whatever it may be. Um, and uh, uh, what can robots do in the future? Uh, use your um, uh, imagination. Um, I mean, maybe realistically an extension of what you've already seen or, or what you think they should do. And then uh, that plays right into the third question. Uh, what do you want them to do? What What do you think is the the biggest priority for um, something uh, that robots can do in the future? And and maybe uh, it'll spur on an idea for you or for one of our other um, uh, audience members or, or listeners. So go ahead and um, post those answers. Uh, if you're watching online, um, uh, we've already gotten uh, a question with our Q and A button, so you can submit it that way, or um, you can tweet hashtag Space United. No matter when you're either watching or listening to this. We always like to field questions that way uh, throughout the week. So go ahead and tweet hashtag Space United with your question, and we'll uh, get back to you. Um, so, or also with your answer, I always say question. But yeah, also it, we want to see your feedback on your answers uh, for our questions. Um, so we do have a, a question. I'm going to let Chris take it. Uh, it is from our friend Alex, uh, and it says, uh, or he says, with new mobility, is there hope to some, someday have Robonaut do an EVA? It's a great question. Apologetic that I didn't mention it earlier. Uh, so I mentioned that we're entering the IVA intravehicular activity phase of Robonaut uh, 2 on station. And that's the second. The first phase was uh, just the upper torso without the legs, uh, which was the prior two years. Uh, and the phase after IVA mobility is planned to be EVA mobility. Uh, so once we kind of test out our legs inside station and, and go through some safety, um, uh, we'll upgrade the uh, upper torso. The legs, the legs are material compatible with vacuum um, and EVA. So those are pretty much ready to go out outside. Uh, we just have to do some more radiation testing on them. Um, but the upper body needs to be upgraded in a couple ways, uh, both for radiation and for materials compatibility in a vacuum. Uh, but that's uh, some current development of the team, and, and we're hoping to go EVA uh, in the future of ISS, yeah. All right, so I have to admit I'm not uh, familiar with every single acronym out there, so would you tell me and the rest of our slightly confused audience what EVA stands for? <laughs> EVA is extravehicular activity, which means you're going outside of the spacecraft that you're in. It's typically used gotcha. for uh, for human space flight. So EVA is when the astronauts go outside in their spacesuits and and work on the outside of station. EVA, uh, yeah, spacewalk exactly. Uh, is there's uh, uh, some some preparation time and some some cleanup time in every EVA to get the tools and put them away. And we feel that Robonaut would would uh, benefit the program by maybe doing a little bit of setup prior, so the astronauts have more time to do the, the physical manipulation of the tools and, and fixing of the station uh, when spacewalks are necessary. Gotcha. See, so I'm envisioning him just reenacting uh, the movie Gravity, but yeah. what do you want him to have? I guess that's not my decision. All right, Alex. Thanks for your question. Um, Troy, do you have any comments or answers that you'd like to throw out there on these questions? We're a little over time, but I want to hear from you. I know you've been silent for a little while. You're probably just itching to say something. 
<laughs> no, I just, you know, uh, Chris, it's uh, great to have you on here today to answer these questions. Um, it's awesome to talk to somebody that is, you know, actually working in the field and, and uh, on some of this tech. Uh, so just really appreciate you coming to answer some questions for us today. And, uh, I, you know, the thing I'm most excited about is also the, the prosthetics that can come out of this and and some of those technologies to, to work in humanitarian and uh, and the idea of the, the teleworking and, and you know, surgical situations and things like that is also pretty cool too. So thank you for sharing uh, all of that with us today. Yeah, I love talking about it. So thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, then um, we will let Chris go on for the rest of his day and let all of you do the same. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'd like to uh, again thank all of our sponsors, uh, our guest Chris Nye, uh, Troy Dunn our executive director and co-host extraordinaire and slide person, uh, slide you know, runner, what would you, do you have a preferred title, slide operator? Slide, slide runner, it's like blade runner but with slides. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I could see the Harrison Ford aspect there. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> uh, with all of that being said, we appreciate you all, thanks for uh, listening to the podcast, watching the podcast, however uh, you participate, um, please Send us your feedback on the show as well as your answers to our questions and your questions for us to answer. Um, tweet us at hashtag FaceUnited and uh, we'll be in touch. Until then, have a great week and keep exploring for good. Bye, guys.